0: Bonnie Lowe was, uh, was really worried. Are we, are we good here? Bonnie Lowe was really worried about this because he said uh, that means he's going to talk a long time. He's going to need water. I, I don't think we're going to talk that long, but I, I, I do want to tell you some things. First off, if, if you don't like that the elders are preaching from time to time, it's Andy's fault. He convinced us about the time we started to do Sunday night again. He said, you know, the the congregation wants to hear what the elders have to say. And so here I am. And now we know who doesn't read the bulletin. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about what I perceive. And now, understand, this is me. There are eight elders This is me. The other seven elders don't know what I'm about to say. It's not been approved. It's not from them. Okay? They may agree. They may not agree. But this is me. Okay? I want to talk about what I perceive as the biggest problem in the church today. Not necessarily Jefferson Avenue, although I think it's kingdom-wide. You can't tell a whole lot of difference between us and the world. We look too much like the people we're trying to win for Jesus. I, you'll notice I didn't say you, I said we. Because it's all of us. Okay? We can't look like the world. And the biggest reason I say that has to do with how we resolve disputes among ourselves, Okay, Me, you, any of us. In our country today, in the world today, if you watch television, listen to radio, or the three of you that still read newspapers, is there any agreement out there? Do you see a lot of agreement? They don't agree on anything. It's got to be different in here. Okay? As much as we'd like for it to be this way, we disagree sometimes. i got news for you. If you've not sat through an elders' meeting in a while, we disagree in elders' meetings too. Okay? Eight different men. We resolve those differences but we start with differences, with disagreements with different ideas see it's not about not disagreeing we're going to disagree the problem is how we handle that disagreement how do we handle it fortunately They disagreed in biblical times, too. So we have some examples about how they dealt with the situations when they disagreed. One of the biggest ones, and one that that we'll talk most about probably tonight, is in Acts 15. If you want to turn there, you, you can. There were Jewish Christians, Christians who were converted from Judaism, who were telling the Gentile Christians, and this was a new thing, remember, that they had to become Jews before they became Christians. And some of the Gentiles objected to that. And some, and some of the Christians... Some of the folks we read about in the Bible, people like Paul and Barnabas disagreed with that. So how did they handle that? Well, Paul and Barnabas stopped talking to those Christians, went on their way, and talked about them. Oh, no, oh, I'm sorry, that's how the world would handle it. How did Paul and Barnabas handle it? First off, this wasn't a little disagreement. This was a big deal. Acts 15.2 says Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension with those Jewish Christians. So they took it to the apostles and after they talked to them, after they talked to them, they took it to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. Now, we don't have a direct command from Jesus to do it that way. But obviously, that's what, it, what Jesus taught them, how he taught them to handle that stuff. Because that's what they did, and, and we'll see it again. It's kind of like Jesus knew how people were, their nature, how they were going to react to differences. In the passage we're about to look at, I want, I want you to understand, Jesus is talking about sin. But it's the exact same process that we just looked at with the apostles and the dissenting Christians. Okay? Same procedure. So here's what he taught. This is in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So here's how Jesus wants this to work. It's what he said. If you've got a red letter edition Bible it's in red means Jesus said it first you go to your brother or sister you you and your brother or sister and you talk about this you tell him what you think is wrong maybe he even talks back maybe you discuss it Notice that Jesus said, if he listens to you. Now, you know what that means, right? If he's listening, that means you're talking. There's communication here. We're not ignoring each other. We're not hiding in the corner. We're talking to each other about this. The silent treatment's not the right way to go. Jesus didn't say, ignore your brother. He said, talk to your brother. Okay? Next, he said, if he doesn't listen, take two or three others with you. Maybe even those who have witnessed the problem. But again, you're taking a couple of people with you, but you're talking to your brother. If that doesn't work, you take it to the church. And if that doesn't work, now you don't talk to him. Jesus said, treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now that's pretty drastic because to a Jew, there was nothing worse than a Gentile unless it was a tax collector. These are people you don't associate with. I hope it doesn't ever get that far. This is not easy, okay? Okay. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of spiritual maturity. I have to look down before I fall off the stage. It takes a lot of maturity, a lot of courage to do this the right way, okay? Because it's not easy. Jesus didn't say it was going to be easy. He said this is the way you do it, okay? I'll try to stop saying okay after time. I know that would annoy me if I were out there. But again, notice he said, talk to your brother, not about him. Talk to him. Don't come to the elders or the church until you've talked to him. Go through the process. Pretty sure it works. Everything else Jesus has told us to do, that works. So why would this be different? Do the process. There's another example of this, it's a little bit different, but as I was reading through this this afternoon and trying to figure out what to say and how to say it, it occurred to me that I hadn't even looked at 1 Corinthians 8, and that's where Paul's talking to the church about eating food that was sacrificed to idols. Some of the Christians were saying it was wrong, and some of the Christians were saying there was nothing wrong with it. Paul didn't see anything wrong with it, okay? But that's, the story didn't stop there. Here's what, what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, 9-13. through 13. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, he will... just because I have the right to do something doesn't mean I should if that's going to cause you to stumble. I don't need to be thinking about me. I need to be thinking about you. We do that. The petty differences will melt away overnight. Okay, and I did it again. It's not always about me. It's not always about you. Andy said this this morning. By the way, we're fixing to get into the part of my my lesson that I wrote that sounds a lot like what Andy said this morning. It's still valid, so it's you know it's not like he used it up. It's not always about us and In this, in our society today, that's hard because that's what social media is. It's about us. I'm trying to do as little there as possible just because it's so easy to get caught up in. You don't care what I think about politics, do you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't care. I don't care what you think about politics. Make up your own mind. But it's not about us. Glenn Binkley and I disagree politically, sometimes vehemently, and sometimes quite loudly. But he's my brother. And I love him. And we're going to fight. And we're going to get over it. We've been doing that for eight years since I've been an elder. It's because it's not about us. It's about Him. So why did Jesus tell us to do this stuff this way? Peter may have something to say about that. I'm trying to get all the apostles into that. You know, Peter may have a little something to say about that. Uh, we're different. We're supposed to be different. People should run into us whether we're in this building or in that building or over across the street at work or down the road at work or wherever. People should run into us and say that's different. First Peter two one through three and nine through twelve. So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. King James, which I grew up with, instead of people for his own possessions as a peculiar people. Different. We're supposed to be different. Think about what the, the phrase "peculiar people" that's translated in the ESV it says, "We are a people for His own possession, for God's own possession." How special do we have to be to be prepared to be God's, not God's us, His? How special are we that God claims us as His children? You know, throughout history, God has had a group of people that He claimed was His. The Israelites. They were a small portion of the people in the world at that time. God claimed them. We are a small portion of the people in the world at this time. God has claimed us as His own. John has something similar to say. In 1 John one fifteen, and and a couple of verses after that, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In all of this, never forget that Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died for us. And guess what? He died for the person you're arguing with too. He died for the person you disagree with. And if you treat him not like Jesus died for him, that's a problem. Okay? That clear? I didn't say that. God said that. In fact, that's the reason Jesus died. Because we can't do this by ourselves. If we could, there would have been no reason for Jesus to come to Earth and do the things He did and suffer the things He did. Galatians three twenty-eight. That's a really rough transition, but you want a professional preacher? You come on Sunday morning. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Please understand, if it's a matter of opinion, it really doesn't matter who's right. Okay. what matters is that we treat whoever this is we're disagreeing with whether it's out in the world or in this room we treat that person like Jesus Christ died for them because he did you know Andy's preached some sermons about unity over the last what, six weeks or so and Willie had a, about three sermons there all rolled into one Talking about unity. We've talked about it for six weeks. Now it's time we practice some of that. I've got a class starting Wednesday night on James. And as I started to study for that, and I went back and reread that book, it's a nice short book. You can read it while somebody you don't want to listen to is preaching. I realize that James is all about, at least parts of James, are all about exactly what we're talking about here. He wastes no time in getting to his point. The 22nd verse, and I know he didn't write in verses, but in the first two or three paragraphs, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, as I was growing up for years, the church, the church of Christ was known as a group that knows their Bible. I think we still are that. But I'd like to challenge us to take that a step further. I would love for the Church of Christ. I would love for Jefferson Avenue to be known as a church that lives their Bible. And if you're going to live it, you've got to know it. So let's know it, but let's do it too. I know some Christians, you do too probably, that if you, you ask them any kind of biblical question. Even Old Testament minor prophet questions. They can answer it. But they struggle with love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. You can't, I can't. None of us can profess to believe this stuff and not do it. And I want to talk, toss in something very similar to that in in relation to love. Everybody knows First Corinthians 13 and most of us have at least one piece of it on a wall in our house somewhere. I bet none of us have the first three verses. Because those are the hard ones. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love that doesn't turn into action Paul says is useless. And John tosses into I love I love John. I love first John because there's so much packed in five chapters. Chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is great, but it has to motivate us into doing things for Christ. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Andy said something about this this morning. I'm still going to say this because it still applies. In John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sometimes I think we're very legalistic about this and we get that one backwards. And I think we say, Well, I keep his commandments, so I love him. That's not what Jesus said. He said, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now, that doesn't mean if you love me, you have to keep my commandments. That's not what he said. There's a difference. not a checklist. There's not a list of things you got to do to get to heaven. The way you get to heaven, and we all want to get there, but the way you get there is through the grace of Jesus Christ. You can't and I can't do anything to earn it, No matter how much we do, if we don't have Christ, we're not going to get there. We do these things, these commandments, the things Jesus wants us to do, not because we have to, but because we appreciate the grace that He has given to us freely. You don't have to, but you want to. Remember that mission and vision thing from this morning, love God and others, be and make disciples. We spent a lot of time hashing all that stuff out. Those are good words. Those are biblical words. But they mean absolutely nothing. If those words don't motivate us to do something, if we continue to sit in these pews and we don't do what those words say, all is lost, including us. Those are not words from the elders, those are not words from me. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus never said, Blessed are the comfortable. Some of this stuff is not comfortable. If we go out into this community and start bringing in what we're calling the unchurched, they may not look like us. They may not have good clothes to wear to church on Sunday morning. We're going to have to get over that. Okay? We're not worried about the holes in their jeans. We're worried about their souls. It makes me uncomfortable because I've always been in a nice, clean church with a nice, clean people. But out in the world, not everybody's nice, clean people. And that's why they need us to go out there and bring them to Jesus. Think about it this way as as we close up. We start bringing people in and if they don't see a difference in us, if we're no different from the people that they're hanging out with in the world, why are they going to come here? Why are they going to stay? Why are they going to listen to us about Jesus Christ and what He can do for their lives if they walk in here and we're just like them. They're not. They're going to turn right back around and go. Because the world doesn't need more world, the world needs more Christ. So let's talk about us for just a split second. Are we who we need to be? are we motivated to do the things that Jesus wants us to do if you're not if you want to make that right we want to help if you need anything please come as we stand and sing I am resolved no longer to leave-